Welcome back to the Unbreakable Me podcast, where Rock Bottom has built more heroes than privilege ever could. So this is episode three. If you have made it this far, thank you. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to my story. And I hope this hasn't become too much of the Maddie show. I just want everyone to understand my story first so that I can offer real help to individuals that are suffering because during my time with my eating disorder, with my anorexia, um, during the time in which that I suffered with addiction and my dad's suicide, which is what we're going to go into today, there is nothing fucking worse when you are recovering as an addict or when you're recovering from an eating disorder or a mental health issue where you have someone sitting across the table from you who's done nothing with their life other than go to university and live a very normal life and read lots of textbooks and give you all this fucking advice. And you sit there and you look at them and you think, how the fuck would you know? Like, you don't know what it's like coming off drugs. You don't know what it's like to have to rebuild after you've had an insult. You don't know what it's like to, you know, look in the mirror and think, fuck, I look fat when really you're only 28. So that's like, there is nothing worse. And I've spoke to a lot of people that have come back from these situations. There's nothing worse than having someone sit across from you, giving you advice, and they haven't experienced it themselves. And I think that's why for the first few episodes, I wanted to try and break down my story so that you guys know that I come from a place of actual understanding because I've been there and I've really experienced the core um, of these issues myself. So as I said, today, we're going to go into my dad's suicide, which then led into my drug addiction. So I remember it quite clearly. So it was the 25th of May, 2015, and I was living in Mackay at the time. And it was, like I can't remember the exact time of night that my phone rang, somewhere, I believe, in the vicinity of 6 p.m. and 8 p.m., I think. And it's funny because they say that you kind of have this intuition about, about things. And I remember my phone ringing. And it was an odd time for it to be ringing and an odd time for my mum to be ringing, of all people. And Wes was in the shower, which is my husband, and he, and I remember him yelling out to me from the shower, don't answer the phone. Why the fuck would I answer the phone? It's really weird. And I remember having this overwhelming feeling at the same time of like, this is a, this, this phone call is not going to be good. Anyway, I answered the phone, and when I answered the phone, I remember getting the news that my dad was gone, that my that he had taken his own life and he had been found and that he, he had passed. I remember hearing that news and literally just falling to the floor. Like I remember just dropping to my knees and not being able to breathe and not being able to think and think to myself, you fucking nuts. This can't be happening. Like, this can't be happening. Like, my dad can't be gone. He can't be dead. Like, it, it just this can't, this can't really be fucking happening right now. Anyway, it was. My dad on the 25th of May 2015 committed suicide. 
And it is what led down the next road for me of addiction. So to give you a little bit more of an understanding of where we were at at the time, we were living in Mackay. I think as any young couples do, you're working full time, you know, you're partying a little bit on the weekends, you might have dabbling this, dabbling that, you know, you're going out, you're drinking, you're partying with your friends and that sort of stuff. So we were already kind of doing those things. Like I believe it, most people in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s are doing anyways. You know, so that drugs was already something we were recreationally having a little bit of fun with, okay? Which, like I said, I think most people are whatever. If you agree with that, cool. If you don't, whatever. Don't care. So when dad passed, it was a slow progression from that recreational every now and again sort of use to every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then recover Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then back into it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, recover Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And it was just a way of escaping the reality. It was a way of dealing with all of the pain that we were feeling and that I was feeling without having to actually deal with it. You just kind of sweep it under the rug and be like, I'll fucking deal with that later. Like I don't want to, I don't even want to, I don't want to deal with it. I'm just not going to do it. So it really was just a form of escapism. And I really believe that when it comes to drug addiction, um, alcoholism, substance abuse, whatever, it's just a way of coping with a trauma or something you're trying to escape in your life. And that's exactly what I did for two fucking years. We just ran. We ran away from the pain. We ran away from the suffering. We ran away from the fact that it had even happened. And it destroyed relationships. It destroyed my relationship with my mum. It destroyed my relationship with my sister. It destroyed relationships with my husband's family because you just become disconnected from reality. So it starts out... Where, like I said, you're using, you know, that Monday, um, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, you're going to work, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, and then slowly things progress, you know. One of you loses your job because things have slipped. The other one's like, oh, fuck it, and they lose their job too. And you've got to remember as well for us, it escalated very quickly because we received an inheritance. So we were enabled our... Our drug addiction was heavily enabled by the fact that we could afford to fund it and we could fund it for a very long time. Whereas if we were not in a position where we could have funded it, if we've never received that inheritance um, that I received from my dad's passing, we probably, we may not have ended up in the horrid state that we didn't end up in at the end. Now, I'm lucky, I believe, in the fact that I did have a moment of, I guess, sanity throughout all of this, and I gave a portion of my inheritance back to my mum. So not all of my inheritance was blown, but a quite big chunk of it was. Like, it really was. Um, So we were able to fund it. So, you know, I dropped off work, he dropped off work, and we we just started using all the time. You know, we were methamphetamine addicts we were using every single day and if we're being honest look 
let's be honest, at the start it was fun. It was the fun stuff, the going out, the partying, the socialising, the, you know, all like it was fun at the start because you were able to escape your reality and, you know, I guess I guess that's why methamphetamine is addictive is because it makes you feel fucking good, right? But over time, as your tolerance builds, as your need for it grows and as the way that you use it changes, the fun aspect disappears. When you go from smoking methamphetamine and snorting methamphetamine in a social atmosphere and going out and having a few drinks and whatnot to then injecting and using it intravenously, will you go from having a drug that is social to a drug that is very antisocial? And once you cross that line, and we cross that line probably, I'd say, eight months or so after dad died, we crossed that line, things fell apart and they fell apart fast. We ended up in a situation where we were over that. It was a, it was an addiction that lasted about two years from 2015 to 2000 and the end of 2016. So once that ball started to roll, you very quickly end up in a very unhealthy mind state. There is something to be said about the mental capacity of someone that smokes or snorts methamphetamine compared to some or compared to someone that injects it. It is very different. It has a very different effect on your brain, your ability to think straight. You know, you go days without fucking sleeping. You know, I think the longest that we ever went without sleeping was something like seven days. It's a long time. It's not then just the effects of the methamphetamine fucking with your brain. It's also the effects of sleep deprivation. I think that's where things really get cloudy. That's where things really start to fall apart in your mind because your brain can't cope with that sort of or that level of first malnutrition because you're not eating, dehydration because you're barely drinking, and then also you're you're not sleeping ever like it's just it's just not something that's really happening so and then on top of the fact you've got all all of the things that happen with the drug and and the 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 neurological aspect of that so once we cross that line from socially using it to using it in a way that was no longer social things ramped up very quickly and over a 12 month period we ended up with a thousand dollar a day habit now we were very heavy methamphetamine users and it was something that destroyed our life. We ended up living in our car. Um, we ended up with no money. Um, we ended up having nowhere to go. We ended up in a state that I hope that no, very few people ever have to experience. I know that a lot of people have experienced and that's why I'm sharing this story because I think that there are a lot of people out there that have experienced homelessness, that have experienced addiction on a level, whether it be personally or whether it be a family or a friend. And I think there is also something to be said about the fact that you cannot force someone to want to get clean. There is no point in sending someone to rehab over and over and over a fucking again. And I'm talking to anyone out there that is trying to do this with their child or their friend and they're bouncing in and out, in and out, in and out. Unless they want to get better, unless they want to get clean, you are banging your head 
up against a fucking wall. I promise you that. Until you are ready to overcome the addiction, the pull back to the drug is far too strong. It is far too strong. Now, what happened to us in the end was that A, we ran out of money, and B, we ended up in a situation where the safe haven that we always went back to, which was my mum's house when we had nowhere else to go, no other couches to sleep on, no other little drug dens to go and sleep at or, you know, where we could take four dogs. The the turning point for us, the rock bottom for us, was a day where we pulled up at my mum's house across the road from her her house. You know, I said, Mum, we're going to come stay with you again. You know, we've got the four dogs with us. She never said, no, you can't come here. And she said to me, no, you are not coming in this house. And if you come in this house, I will call the police. And I was like, what the fuck? We have nowhere else to go and you're turning your back on me. How could you do this? You know, I thought she was just the most horrible person in the fucking world at that point. And you know what? It was the best thing that ever happened. Because what happened at that point was she said to us, she said, you have to go to Gundawindi. There is no other place for you to go but to Gundawindi. You can stay at Jen and Russ's place, which is where mum and dad. They've got property big enough that we can house four dogs, kennels. We can get our lives back on track. And you know what? There is no connections out there. There is nowhere to get the drug. There is nowhere to, there is no one that you are currently interacting with that lives out there and once you get out there with no goddamn money you aren't going to turn around and drive five hours back because you won't have the fuel in the car to do so and she drove to the servo she got i believe something like 300 dollars out and she brought that cash back to me and she said to me this is the last money i will give you do what you want with it but if you choose to blow it and you don't put fuel in that car and you don't drive to gundawindi i will not give you any more This is it. This is the point where you have to change because if you don't, you're either going to end up in jail or dead. You know, and I fucking hated her. I can remember I just thought, you fucking bitch, how could you do this to me? I just, you know, because you're going to remember, like, by this stage, probably haven't slept in a couple of days. You know, it's, it's all very, like, you know, you blame everyone else. It's everyone else's fucking fault that you're in this scenario. It's everyone else's responsibility to fix it. It's everyone else's, everyone else has to, that you are blame everyone except for yourself. You really at this point don't realize that you are the fucking problem. And we took that $300, we blew a portion of it on drugs, we got high and then put the rest in the car, filled up with fuel, and at some point, we drove out to Gundawindi with all four dogs in the car. And when we turned up in Gundawindi, we're in a situation where we'd become very disconnected from Wes's family by that point. And although we were welcome, it was very difficult. And we turned up there at 8 o'clock at night with four dogs, not having spoken to them in a long time. They knew we were coming. And we had to slowly rebuild. And it was fucking hard. Like we got out there and then you have to get clean. So then you have to go through the withdrawals. And with methamphetamine, there isn't, it isn't, there are no physical withdrawals. Well, there wasn't for us, maybe different for other people, but there are a lot of psychological withdrawals. The anxiety is unbearable. 
the depressed state that you feel is really unbearable. You still can't think properly for a very long period of time. I remember um, I remember being told by a counsellor that we ended up seeing that it takes 18 months for your brain to neurologically function properly again after the last time you used. So if you get 10 months into your um, rehabilitated journey and you've been clean for 10 months and you use, your brain will go all the way back to the start. And, and I can say from personal experience that is 100% true because it wasn't until about that 18-month mark post the last time we used, which was prior to having fallen pregnant with our son, there was no crossover between drugs and pregnancy. I want to make that very clear. But it wasn't until after he was born and about that 18-month mark to two-year mark that I believe I can now look back and say that's those are the points, yes, where we start to be able to think more logically. The anxiety attacks lessened. Uh, we were never medicated at any stage for anxiety or depression. We never used any rehabilitation centres or anything like that. We did all of it ourselves, um, apart from seeing some counsellors here and there. But it was very much you can feel it. Your brain over time just starts to become uncloudy. But it takes time and there are so many fucking hard days. You know, I can remember, you know, when my son was small because we hadn't quite reached that 18 month mark yet or, or that two-year mark yet where mixing with a newborn and and sleep deprivation, there were days where anxiety attacks were that unbearable that all I could do was put him in a pram, jump on the phone to my mum and talk to her. And sometimes it would take her an hour, hour and a half to be able to talk me out of the anxiety attack. I never used, like I said, medications to help with that anxiety because I didn't want to then have then something else that I had to come off. And my husband was the same. We never used anything that we, any sort of, any present or any anxiety medication that we would then need to wean off at a, at a later stage. So it was a very rough journey. And if you have someone that you are helping through this at the moment, then know that it is going to be a very rough journey, but you can get there in the end. We're at the point in our life now where our son is six. Um, we went from literally broke as fuck a thousand dollar a day methamphetamine intravenous use drug addiction. Four dogs living in a car, homeless, and and bills. One thing that people don't tell you about when you come out the other side, or when you, it's not just it's not just the drug addiction you got to come. Then it's you just keep getting fucking hit, man. You know because what happens is when you're in the clutches of that drug addiction, you don't pay the power bill. You don't pay the phone bill. You don't pay the, you know, parking ticket. You don't pay these things. So two years later when you're clean, all those fucking debt collectors start calling. And you're like, I've got no fucking money. I'm fucking broke. Or you've only just started to get back on your feet and every fucking bastard's calling you and you just think, like, what the fuck? You know, and look, You've got to get yourself out of that. We had a bad credit rating. We had to fix that before we could before we could even buy a car to put our son in. Like there were so many things. It's not just it's not just the addiction that you're helping your loved one get over. Okay, the mountain is fucking massive. It is so big. 
It is so big because once you overcome the drug addiction, then you've also got to face all of the other bad fucking choices that you made across that period of time. And then if it is something that has been triggered from a trauma, like my dad's suicide, then you also have to deal with all the emotional shit that you didn't deal with at the start that you buried for two years under a methamphetamine addiction or whatever addiction you currently have. (laughs) It is rough. It is so rough. It took us a long time. We ended up living. We managed to find a a house in the middle of a paddock in Gundawindi that we could rent. Um, and I remember cleaning this house six months pregnant. It was an old timber house that no one lived in in 18 months, right? And I had to clean it six six months pregnant from the from the roof to the bottom, the floors, the kitchen, everything. Right? It was just an old farm cottage that we were being allowed to rent, and we were, we were giving it we were giving it for two hundred dollars a week, right? And it had one air conditioner, so we had to air condition the place. We had to, you know, because this is just a little farm cottage, and it was hot as hell. And then we had to rebuild from there. You know, we had to from that point. Our son was born. Then I started my business and now today we're at the point where we own our own 30-acre farm. We are, my husband is now doing his pilot's license. We are looking for a helicopter. We have rebuilt our lives now to a point where I am super proud of us and we are in a position that I think it is time that we share our journey because it shows that no matter where you are right now in your journey, no matter where you are in your recovery, you can get better. It is a fucking hard road, man. I can guarantee you that. And there you, every time you take a step forward, you're going to get pushed back like 10 steps and then push sideways. And it just, sometimes it just keeps coming, but it does get better. It does get better if you just keep going. You've just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. That mountain that you start with, eventually, eventually you get to the top and things smooth out. And then you just have to deal with normal life shit, you know, stuff that everyone else has to deal with. Now, that is a really quick run over of my dad's suicide and our drug addiction. I don't want to go too far into either of those topics just yet. But uh, what I would like for you to do is if this is something that you would like to know more about, I want you to hit that subscribe button. I want you to follow this podcast and I want you to put it in the comments below. I want you to tell me if this is beneficial. Do you want to know more about what it's like living with an addiction, how to overcome it, how to help someone in your family, overcome that addiction. Also, if you are someone that has suffered from some sort of mental illness and you have come out the other side, whether it be eating disorder, whether it be um, self-harming, whether it be that you have personally tried to commit suicide and come out of that, if you have suffered from addiction and come out the other side, then I would love to hear from you. If you would like to share your story on this podcast, I would really love for you to do so. I want to help as many people as I can. I want this podcast to be the raw, honest, brutal stuff that comes from people 
that have been there, if you've suffered from homelessness, if you've suffered from from anything like that and come out the other side, then please share your story with me. Because through our stories, we can be the pillars of hope for people that are currently at the beginning of their journey. Because the things that I know now, I wish that I knew at the start. All right, guys, I hope that this has helped. And I hope that you come back for episode four.